Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Welcome, everyone. It is Wednesday, July the 19th, 2023. It is currently 5.21 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And what we are about to do, this is going to probably not work out so well. Like everything, everything is telling me this is going to be kind of a kind of a awkward, broken, broken segment, right? This segment's going to be broken. It's just not going to work really well. Let me try to explain what we are doing. We are a part of our, we are continuing our very lengthy series on the proper distinction between law and gospel and understanding law and gospel. This is, I don't know, like there's over 80 hours of content. We made it very far and then I decided to do kind of a law and gospel redo. So in a sense, we're kind of relaunching, restarting this series by doing a somewhat of a review of things we've already covered and then trying to move it forward. In doing this, we are utilizing the radio program Issues, ETC or Issues, etc. It's also a podcast, but it's a podcast of a radio program. If you ever listen to talk radio, you know that everything is broken into segments, right? They come in, do this segment, then they go to a commercial break. They come back and then, and then they always have that last segment, which is usually like about 10 minutes long, right? That about 10 minutes. Now, sometimes on some talk radio stations, they have kind of like a little short segment go to commercial, come back. Then the announcer will only say something for like 59 seconds. And then it goes back to like a, about a 10 minute top of the hour break. Oh, those things drive me crazy. But when, but what we're doing here is for these episodes of this kind of law and gospel redo, we're just taking the segments between the commercials, right? So we are, we are reviewing and analyzing and critiquing and using their discussion because issues, et cetera, is doing a discussion on law and gospel. We're using their discussion, but we're taking the segments between between the commercial breaks. So that means, okay, this one's about 15 minutes long. This one's about you know, maybe 20 minutes long. Well, the one we have in front of us is probably about 10 minutes long, okay? There's not much to it. So this is gonna feel like, well, what was that? And so I may have to just decide to cut out the the last segment in, on these uh, reviews. I don't know. This is the first time we tried it. Remember, I don't like to listen to the audio we review first because I always like it to be very organic and real and like we're listening to it together. So it's almost like, hey, I know we've spent 80 hours studying law and gospel, but let's do this. Let's take a minute, kind of go back to the beginning of our discussion. Let's listen to what issues ETC is saying about law and gospel, and we'll just talk about it together based off all the other hours that we've already talked about it. So it, it reinforces, it repeats, it reminds. So hopefully this will only add to this series that when this series is finally done, anyone who actually takes the time to listen to it will say they understand the proper distinction between law and gospel better than they ever have in their entire life. That's the goal. Maybe not, maybe not because of the quality of anything I do, maybe just because of the sheer quantity of hours of content. That's what we're shooting for. But 
Let me remind you we that issues ETC, they're using the book. I've used the book in our, our teaching. They're using the book God's No and God's Yes. They have the bigger version of it, which we I still need to do some time talking about it. Someone sent me a, a nice email with a, a link to uh, where you can access the larger book online. I think it's a PDF. I have to look. I got to go back to that email. Um, but um, I right here have in front of me God's No and God's Yes, the proper distinction between law and gospel by C.F.W. Walther. The pro- God's no and God's yes, the proper distinction between law and gospel, C.F.W. Walther. This is like the Cliff Notes version of the larger work. I don't remember the exact name of the larger work, but please, I beg of you, get a copy of God's no and God's yes, the proper distinction between law and gospel by C.F.W. Walther. Please, 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 everyone should have a copy of this, even if you disagree. And look, I don't agree with everything in it, but if you're going to start talking and studying law and gospel, because it's absolutely, tra- I mean, I'm telling you, it changes the way you interpret everything. It changes so much. Um, this is a book to at least have and read it often. Now, in the discussion on the Issues ETC program that we are reviewing, they are looking at... And because you just remember, they're on thesis one. Remember, the book is broken down into what? 25 theses? And thesis number one is this. This is thesis number one by C.F.W. Walther and the book God's No and God's Yes. Thesis number one, the doctrinal contents of the entire Holy Scriptures, both of the Old and the New Testament, are made up of two doctrines differing fundamentally from each other, the law and gospel. No, law and law and gospels in the Old Testament, law and gospel as in the New Testament. And okay, and we, we, we could do a lot of just, I could do a lot of repeating of what I've already covered. So I won't do that. Just remember that's thesis one. Then in the book, we, this section that, that we're currently looking at using the audio from Issues ETC, and please subscribe to the Issues Etc. podcast. Just look for it on your favorite podcasting app, Issues ETC. Subscribe to it. If you haven't, shame on you. You really should have. It's a Lutheran program, but it's well worth your time. And uh, even though I don't agree with everything, because obviously I'm not a Lutheran, but um, it's worth your time. Now, so here's the section. It's page 15 in my copy of the book. The true points of difference between law and gospel are the following. The true points of difference between law and gospel are the following. Number one, these two doctrines differ as regards uh, in the manner of their being revealed. The true point of difference between law and gospel is the manner in which they are revealed to man. They are revealed to man in very different ways. All right. Uh, Number two, as regards to their contents, law and gospel are different because of their contents. Law and gospel is different. Number three, in regards to their promises held out by either doctrine. Right They're, in regards to the promises. Number four, in regards to their threatenings. Number five, in regards to the function and the effect of either doctrine. And number six, as regards the person to whom either the one or the other doctrine must be preached. So the six ways law and gospel are different. Number one, in the way that they are revealed to man. Number two, in their contents. Number three, in their promises. Number four, in their threatenings. Number five, in their function and effect. Number six, in regards to the person to whom either the one or the other doctrine must be preached. All right, you got that? 
Now we're going to jump back in and try to review this last segment. Again, this is going to feel, it's got like maybe 10 minutes. It's going to be, this is going to go by fast. Hopefully they say something so profound in these like 10 minutes that we can really build on it and, and flesh it out a little bit. And this will be, this will be very beneficial and helpful. I hopefully, hopefully just the reminding of, of those differences are helpful to you. You say, well, when did, where did you discuss those differences? Go back to the beginning of our series on law and gospel. If you have the church one app, church O-N-E, do a search for Theology Central, make us our, your chosen broadcaster, look under series, find the series Understanding Law and Gospel, go to the beginning. If you're using the Sermons 2.0 app, look for Theology Central, find our series Understanding Law and Gospel, boom, go down to the beginning, start listening, and you'll hear me go through every one of those differences in great, great, painstaking detail. All right, so you you can do that. But let's see how Issues ETC is going to kind of wrap up thesis number one in about 10 minutes. Let's see what they have to say. Here we go. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're doing a series on CFW Walther's Law and Gospel Theses with Pastor Will Whedon. You'll find the proper distinction between law and gospel in Pastor Whedon's daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Listen anytime, anywhere at thewordendures.org or on your favorite podcast provider, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Whedon. We talked about the effects of God's law. What are the effects of God's gospel as Walther enumerates them? Well, as Walter lists them out, the very first effect of the gospel, of proclaiming the gospel to a person, is that it gives the faith which it demands. He he will talk later. You don't even actually need to use the word faith. You don't need to say believe. You just need to proclaim the truth, and that truth itself is an instrument of the Holy Spirit to bring people to faith. God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So, That's the first effect. It gives the faith which the gospel itself demands. This is very important, depending on your, you know, theological perspective, your soteriological perspective. You either believe faith as something that just a person generates in and of themselves, that they decide to have faith. They have the ability. Their their will is is not impacted by their depravity, and they can simply choose to believe. In other words, their will is not dead in trespasses and sins. Their will is alive. They hear the gospel, and then they will, they choose to have faith. That is a very popular theological perspective in American Christianity. Then there are those of us who believe man is so dead in their trespasses and sins that they cannot believe God has to grant faith, and he grants faith to those whom he had chosen before the foundation of the world, but he does so at a particular time through, it is through the proclamation of God's word, all right? Now, this is more like it is the proclamation of the gospel that produces faith, but we know the proclamation of the gospel does not produce faith in everyone, so then the question is, well, why didn't it produce faith in that person? Well, it produces faith in those whom God has chosen to grant faith, and it will not produce faith in those who haven't been. So you either have, it's man who produces faith or it's God. Now you may say the instrument through which God produces that faith is through the hearing of God's word. That's okay. But clearly you've got to explain why not everyone believes. 
So either again, it was it's either man or it's God, and and so you can you can work that out through your soteriology if you so desire. But okay, all right, let's continue. He's giving now. So what he's doing here, just so that you know, he is talking about the the difference between the law and gospel is concerning the effects of the two doctrine, and he's really talking about here what is the effect of the gospel. What is the effect of the gospel? And the gospel, the first effect of the gospel is when demanding faith. Okay, I'm going to read it at the end. The effect of the gospel are of an entirely different nature. He's contrasting the effect of the gospel with the effect of the law. They consist in this. In the first place, the gospel, when demanding faith, offers and gives us faith in that very demand. When we preach to people, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God gives them faith through our preaching. We preach faith and any person not willfully resisting obtains faith. Now, they say then what keeps people from the faith is their their willful resistance. Okay, well, so God will give you faith, but you can resist faith. All right, is that a, is that a media, is that kind of somewhere in the middle between a man-centered faith or a God-given faith? You could kind of you could try to flesh that out if you so desire, but in their perspective, in Walther's perspective, God, you preach the gospel, and God will give anyone who hears the gospel faith. But they have to be willing. So once again, then their will. How how can they just be become? I guess if they don't resist it, it's like so. Is people are they free or are they not free? Are they dead and their trespasses and sins are not like? How do we? What is the correct understanding of the condition of man? There, I believe they're dead. God has to grant the faith, and He grants the faith to those whom He has chosen, because then that explains why some people don't get the faith. But they want to say, well, they don't get the faith because well, the people just willfully don't want it. But nobody willfully wants it. Everyone will willfully resist it because that's our nature. So then what changes the nature of some? Okay, we can get into a long, long discussion there, but that, that's what he believes is the first effect. And now, I again, I do believe faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So as we proclaim the gospel, put it this way. I think this is the best way because you can get into all of these fights and everyone will start arguing with each other. Here's what everyone believes. Let's just try to find something that's common. You preach the gospel to everyone, those who believe will be saved. Why they believe, how they believe, who, where did the faith come from, You, those are important conversations. But just remember, when you boil it all down, preach the gospel, those who believe will be saved. And then people can argue it's they chose to believe, God chose to believe, that you can get into who, what, where, when, how, and those are important theological discussions, but sometimes we fight and divide when when you've, when it's all said and done, here's the reality, you preach, people believe they are saved. All right, let's continue. The second is that, I love this, it fills a person with peace and joy at the return of the prodigal the father walter says does not say a single word to refer to his horrible abominable behavior he says nothing nothing whatever about it but falls on the prodigal's neck kisses him prepares a splendid feast for him this is a glorious parable exhibiting to us the effect of the gospel it re- now, I love this one. So the first effect of the gospel is it gives faith. The second effect of the gospel is that it does not at all reprove the sinner, 
but it takes all terror, all fear, all anguish from him and fills him with peace, joy, and the Holy Ghost. You know you're hearing the gospel when all fear, anguish, discouragement, depression, defeat, when that is removed and you are filled with peace and joy, when all the terror and anguish is gone. The gospel, it's because it's promises. It's what God has done on your behalf. It's what it's not telling you to do anything. It's telling you everything has been done and that fills you with peace and joy and all the fear and anguish and discouragement goes away. That is beautiful, completely. Amen to that. That's when you know you're really preaching the gospel. Removes all unrest and fills us with a blessed heavenly peace. It lets us know that the Father in heaven for the sake of his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, is truly reconciled to us, loves us, and is delighted in us in his Son. And the third thing that C.F.W. Walter says the gospel affects is that it changes you. When you believe the gospel and you know that God hasn't required anything good that you got to scrounge up and come up with, not a good heart, not a good disposition, not an improvement in your condition, no godliness, no love of God or man. It doesn't issue these orders that you have to do this. That's what the law does. What the gospel just does is it changes you. It. Okay, now this is where I start having a little problem with Walther. This is where I start having problem with pretty much all of Christianity, okay? Christianity just cannot let this concept go. What Christianity, it, it, Christianity is sold on this idea. So Christianity and America, or, and, and, and most parts of the world, has become sold on the concept that the gospel is about changing you. The gospel is not about imputed righteousness. The gospel is not about your position. The gospel is not about forgiveness. Oh yeah, that stuff is there, but inevitably it comes to you practically. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. When you get the gospel, you become a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now, the problem is we preach that, but then everyone's go, but, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no, I mean, you're changed, but you're not really changed because you still have an old nature. I mean, I mean, you got power, but, but that power is limited because you can't be perfect. I mean, yeah, you, you, you've been changed, but you still have the old nature. I mean, okay, okay. I mean, you're going to be, you're going to do things differently. I mean, you're not going to do things perfectly. I mean, you're still going to sin this way and that way and this way and that way, but you might, you, you may sin less, but I, I mean, you're, you may stand differently. And so on one hand, we sell it like you are transformed, you're changed, everything is new, everything is gone, you've got power, you can obey God. And then somewhere you just got to keep listening. They'll say, but however, see the fine print, you're still going to sin, you still have a sinful nature, you can't be perfect. And then all of a sudden they backtrack on all the power they just sold you. Well, Walther, in a sense, has his own version of this. All right, let me read it to you, all right? In the third place, the gospel does not require anything good that man must furnish. Not a good heart, not a good disposition, no improvement of his condition, no godliness, no love either of God or man. The gospel doesn't require anything that you must furnish because God's going to furnish all of those things. Now, here's how I feel he does this. How does God, God, uh, uh, God furnishes Godliness. God refurnishes love. He he furnishes all of that in our position. Christ obedience, Christ love, Christ perfection becomes yours in your position. But look at what Walther does here. It issues no orders, but it changes man. Now look at this last sentence. It plants love into his heart and makes him capable 
of all good works. Now, wait a minute. If the gospel makes you capable of all good works, then logically, perfection is not only probable, it is possible. It is likely. It is expected. If God, if the gospel grants you power, now, once again, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like an imputed righteousness. That sounds like an infused righteousness, which is back to Roman Catholicism. We either say by imputed or we say by infused. Something infused, that gives you capability, that gives you power. But as within the Protestant Reformation, the issue is we are saved. It's a forensic justification. We are declared to be that which we are not and which we will never be until glorification. But if you say, hey, 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 look, look, the gospel makes no demands on you, but it's going to change you so that you now, you can do every good work. Well, if I can do every good work, let me just lay down a couple. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. No one ever pulls that off, so I don't know who's actually capable of doing that. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you say you're capable, I don't know who actually pulls that off. Oh, and here's the big one. Here's the one that proves everything. Be ye holy as God is holy. Be ye perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. If you're capable of all good works, just pull that one off. You never will. You never have. If you convince yourself that you have, then you're you're delusional and you've got other, you've got more serious problems to deal with. The gospel provides all the law demands. The law demands that you do every good work, but you cannot. The gospel, the gospel provides you all the good work that the law demands. The law demands good work. The gospel says it's all taken care of. All the good works you need are in Christ. They're yours. So when you say, well, this passage seems to say that if you don't have good works, you're not saved. And you're like, absolutely true. But I've got the good works. They've been given to me by Christ Jesus. If it says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And you're like, absolutely right. Holiness is given to me in Christ Jesus. If I don't love, I'm not saved. Well, God, in Christ, I have perfect love given to me. I am saved in Christ because all of those things the law demands are given to me in my position, they're accredited to my account. They are considered mine because they've been given, they're in my account. All of my failure has been paid for. But somehow Christians Christians just have to constantly try to convince ourselves, no, 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 no. We now have power and we can do it. And then 2,000 years of church history is nothing more than a constant tell of failure of those who claim faith in Christ. Sin, failure, shortcomings, break, church divisions, backstabbing, gossip, lying, deceit, pornography, lust, premarital sex, you name adultery, you just just name every sin under the sun. It is present in the church as it is outside the church because we are still sinners. I'm a new creature positionally, not a new creature practically. To be a new creature practically would be the eradication of the old nature, and the old nature is still there. That's why we are told to mortify it, to put off, to put on. We're constantly fighting it. That's why Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't, and the things I don't want to do, those are the things I do. 
All right, let's, let's continue. Let's see if we can get this close to being done. Plants love into man's heart and makes him then capable of actually doing all sorts of good works. It demands nothing. It gives everything. And I love how he changed that. The text in my book, capable of all good works, and he kind of modified, well, I mean, you're capable of all sorts of good works. Now, all good works. And he said, well, all sorts of good works. He's kind of trying to reduce it a little bit because everyone knows you can't do all good works or you would be perfect. Walter adds, shouldn't this fact make us leap for joy? Yes, it should. It's the last effect of the gospel that is so often overlooked, sadly, among Walter's theological descendants today, that the gospel actually affects a change that when Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Yes, we remain sinners. (laughs) You see, hey, hey, this is the thing that's always overlooked. Hey, in Christ, we are a new creature. Old things are passed away. I mean, yet, 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 I mean, we, we still remain a sinner. How do you not hear the contradiction? In Christ, I'm a new creature. That is my positional standing. In my practice, I am still a sinner. How come we cannot figure that out? We want to say, yeah, hey, hey, we're changed. We're a new creature. I mean, yet, I mean, I mean, yes, we're still a sinner. How do you not hear yourself? <laughs> You've got to explain what it means to be a new creature. That is my positional reality. My practical reality, I'm still a sinner. But we are also indwelt by the Holy Spirit and changed. Right. And and so we see in the Lutheran confessions, regard I mean, I know this is really not popular. I've heard talk of people say, Well, we're one hundred percent sinner and one hundred percent saint. I'm like, the Lutheran confessions don't use that scale like that. They 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 don't speak that way. It's true. A sinner is a sinner is a sinner. And we'll never stand before God on the basis of our own right. We'll never pass muster on the basis of our own righteousness at all. But at the same time, we see that the work of the Holy Spirit is to be progressing and increasing in our hearts and lives so that the longer we live, the more our lives begin to look like Jesus's life. See, but that, I don't know. These are these people are, are a million times smarter than I am. They have more prestigious degrees from better universities and better institutions of higher learning. But I don't understand how they can't hear the contradiction. Hey, in Christ, you're a new creature. Old is gone. All is new. I mean, I mean, I mean, we're still a sinner, but, and we'll, but we'll be progressing. No, that's not what it says. It says new, old is gone. Everything is new. So if you're going to say that's true of our life practically, you cannot then come back and modify it and talk it down. You either got to let that be true practically and then live with what you're claiming. You can't modify it. Now, here's the reality. In Christ. That's literally what the verse says. In Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. In Christ. That is my positional reality. In Christ, I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings. In Christ, I am forgiven. In Christ, I am righteous. In Christ, I am perfect. In Christ, I am holy. In Christ, I commit no sin. In, because that's my positional standing because of imputed righteousness. 
in practice. You can talk about, should we progress? We will progress. You can talk about that. But here's what, whatever you're saying about our progression, here's what I know. It's going to be filled with sin, 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 failure, 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 which demonstrates that in practice, we're nowhere close to a new creature. And clearly, not everything is new. And clearly, the old is not gone. Life. He's, in fact, giving his life to us to live by the gift of his Holy Spirit. We're being changed from slaves who are doing things under compulsion to free sons who are delighted to do what the Father wants them to do. That change is ongoing in Christians, and it really is to be increasing. The large catechism could not be clearer on this point, and Walter himself was very clear on it. The sixth point of difference between law and gospel is the one to which Walter will devote an awful lot of the rest of the theses of this particular book, and that is the persons to whom either doctrine is to be preached. Yeah, he's really clear. That doesn't mean that we don't preach law and gospel to everybody. We, we really do need to, but we need to make it very clear as we preach that the law is aimed in particular at secure sinners— And the gospel is aimed in particular at alarmed sinners. He says, yeah, I mean, we certainly preach both to everybody, but if we ask the question, is this particularly for you or not? Well, he he deals with these two categories of sinners. A secure sinner is someone who sees the sin in their life and says, yeah, I know it's there, but you know, It's just the way I am, and God's going to have to get along with it because it's the way I am. That's a secure sinner. So Walter says, shockingly, listen to this. You want law? Here's law. While the devil holds you in a single sin, you are not yet a proper subject for the gospel to operate upon. Only the law must be preached to you. Ouch! That's heavy, and, and that's hard. And Yet we really need to be, be very clear what he means by the devil holds you in a sin is when you've made peace with that sin in your life. And you're not, by the power of the Holy Spirit, fighting against it, trying to put it down. That's what he's getting at there. Let me read a little bit more on this because he, he, he really has some beautiful things to say. The devil has horribly disfigured the human race and hurled men into deep distress. Christ has avenged this. He's proclaimed to the devils, I've conquered thee and men created after the image of God, shall not be lost. I have procured salvation for them. Only those perish who absolutely refuse to be saved, for God coerces no one in this matter. Let me say that one more time. C.F.W. Walther lays it out. Only those perish who absolutely refuse to be saved, for God coerces no one in this matter. It reminds me so much of C.S. Lewis's statement about the gates of hell being barred from the inside, you know, a shutting out of God. Walter says, to such sad, uh, poor, sad-hearted sinners, I repeat, not a word of the law must be preached. Woe to the preacher who would continue to preach the law to a famished sinner. On the contrary, to such a person, the preacher must say, to become, there is still room. No matter how great a sinner you are, there is still room for you. Even if you were a Judas or a Cain, there is still room. Oh, do but come to Jesus. He says, persons of this kind 
are the proper subjects on whom the gospel is to operate. I love that. I mean, that's very comforting. A couple things to wrap up this first session here. This first thesis makes reference to the doctrinal content of Holy Scripture. And sometimes, maybe first-year seminarians say, oh, I'm going to get my green highlighter and my red highlighter. I'm going to go and I'm going to highlight the Bible so I can very quickly reference what parts of our law and what parts are gospel. And then they come to passages like Ruth was a Moabitess and they say, oh, I don't know if that's law or gospel. Why is it important that we, speaking here of the doctrinal content, so that on the other hand, as it has been one in previous generations of Lutherans, they don't say, well, if it isn't law or gospel, it's not relevant, it's not important. And uh, it was used to undermine scripture? Yeah, no, right. That, 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 that's totally unacceptable. And Walter will have absolutely no truck with that. I think the key is, let's go to the very heart of the matter. Is the cross law or is the cross gospel? Well, for Jesus, it's all law. For Jesus, it's all law. And and even in a way for us, too, it shows the wrath of God against sin. They like, certainly preached it as law. Peter certainly did yeah. in the early days of the church. Yeah, and, the, and at Pentecost when he laid it onto them, you know, you, <laughs> you killed the prince of life, the one that God sent to bring you salvation. You killed him. And he, he lays it out there. And so I think that it becomes really important to recognize, and the Lutheran Confession specifically include this example, that as long as the cross is a preaching of terror, um, where it shows you the wrath of God against sin being poured out on Christ, it is not yet gospel. So that teaches you that the same instant, and I, I think this is true, and I think Walter will grant it, that a, that a passage can actually have a gospel function and a law function built into it, depending on how it is being proclaimed. If you proclaim the cross of Christ as the place where the wrath of God was poured out upon the sinless one, that's not yet gospel. But when you proclaim it as the place where God's love is revealed to all the world by giving Jesus to bear this because he wants you to be freed from this unbearable burden, then you have gospel proclaimed. So I think recognizing that we, we see that Ruth is a Moabitess is actually going to be a piece of gospel because that's the, the lineage of Christ who will come into the world to be the savior of sinners and to be the fulfiller of the law and to endure the entirety of divine wrath upon the cross. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. He formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He's author of the books, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, thank you. Hey, thank you. And there we have it, the end of the first episode of Issues Issues ETC series that they're doing on a proper distinction between law and gospel. Please go look for their podcast, subscribe to it, look for all of the episodes dealing with law and gospel. There are many and benefit greatly from it. Now, for us, we will wrap this up this way. Sometimes when it's, who do I present the law to? Who do I present the gospel to? I, don't, I, I think what you need to do is you have to realize it's situational. 
you have to look at the person. If the person is secure in their sins, they don't care, they're good to go, then sometimes you have to give them and remind them of God's law. Here, Here's what God's law says. And then when they are broken and feel the conviction, then all you give them is gospel. You have to look at the situation. You have to use wisdom. You've got to know when. And you have to do realize in the Bible, when you're reading, trying to figure out if something is long gospel, which you should always do with every scripture. Is it law or is it gospel? Sometimes one verse, one passage has two functions. There is a law function of it, and there is a gospel function. Don't let that confound or confuse you. Just understand, how is this verse law? And then preach the law aspect of it, and how is it gospel? So the cross of Christ has a law function and a gospel function. That is very important to understand. All right. We will stop there. The next time, we will move to thesis number two. I'm not going to read it to you. We'll, we'll go to thesis number two, and we'll utilize issues ETC and their discussion of that thesis. And we will do that, hopefully, sometime. I don't know. I don't know how the rest of the week is going to go, but we will see. We got, we got a lot of work to do in Jeremiah. We didn't get to Jeremiah tonight at Victory Baptist Church. If we can do a little bit of work in Jeremiah at some point between now and Sunday we will, and then Sunday will be obviously three hours in the book of Jeremiah at Victory Baptist Church because it's the summer of Jeremiah. But right now, in two minutes, I have to get from here, the studio of Victory Baptist Church in uh, Abilene, Texas, to North Carolina to the 2023 National Sword Conference because we're keeping up with that this week. And uh, good thing is I will get there by going to swordofthelord.com and clicking on the link. So go ahead and head that way now, swordofthelord.com. Watch this evening's conference. There's two hours, there's going to be two sermons, and uh, we'll talk about what happened this evening after. So you can tune back in here. But for now, continue to think. And as you're listening to the sermons tonight, see if you can draw a distinction between law and gospel and see if they maintain that distinction or if they blur it. All right. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. We will talk together soon when the conference concludes. Thanks for listening. God bless.